0: Hand in that progress, and as I look back on how God led me here uh, to gospel life in July of 2014, this was a time when um, I truly surrendered my life to the Lord and um, I was living in the world and just had a complete 180 turnaround in my life during that time. And um, just as I see the progress of my faith um, here in personal walk with uh, Christ. And I, during that time, um, a lot of things have happened. Um, I've been able to grow and, and spiritually, and I, I met my wife here during that time, and we were married in 2017, October 2017. And no, I've just been able to grow here so much um, through the small groups that have played a, a huge blessing on my life and through the sound doctrine and just the, the experiencing Christ's love throughout the church family all these things have played a part in really my spirituality and my personal walk with Christ. And I believe this is so important whenever, um, you know, especially looking towards the future of what gospel light holds. These things are these, all these things play an important role in that in that um, in that process. And I'm so thankful and blessed that God has is given, you know, led me to led us to a church that is a true gospel preaching church. And they they do not stray from, um, you know, from the sovereignty of God's word. They take that very seriously and they don't stray from that just to, you know, look cool and really to just conform to the world and to the culture that we live in today. And those things, especially coming from a a guy that that lived in the world and knows what that's like. Those things are very important to me and um, looking towards the future of what Gospel Light holds. So I'm truly blessed to be here and be a part of this family. So uh, thank you very much. Amen.
1: Boy, isn't it a blessing to be at a church where young men stand up and say, hey, I love Jesus. And it's because, and, and in large part because of how Gospel Light's been used of God, that is exciting. That speaks volumes to the, the future of the church and the health of the church. Thank you, Brother Mike, for sharing that. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter number 10 today, and I'm really excited to be able to speak to you today um, because I want to share with you something that's been going on in my life, and this has been shared in other venues, but it's the first time I have a chance to talk to the uh, church in general. And uh, a few months back, God began working in my heart about getting back into pastoring and uh, talked with Brother Eric about it, and we had a pretty in-depth conversation, and at the end of it, we both kind of agreed, so and he said, I said, it sounds like, yeah, that's what God's doing in your life, and um, had a, a church ask me to come and candidate, and and a few weeks back, we, we accepted, and so I'll be pastoring uh, Bethlehem Baptist Church in Albany, Louisiana, here in just a few weeks, and uh, well, you're happy to see me go, yeah, no, <laughs> and I sure appreciate that, and um, you, you know, for us, it's trying to look and see how God has been working in our life. Because God brought us here very directly. And there's no doubt in my mind about it. There's no doubt in my wife's mind about it that God brought us here. And then it's, it, you kind of scratch your head and say, well, we haven't even been here two years yet. Um, but as, as we really think about it, we see that being here has allowed us to grow in a lot of ways. And uh, we, this was definitely a deliberate place that God's brought us in order to bring us to the next chapter of our life. And really, the message today is, in some ways, a testimony of what Gospel Light has been to us the last two years, and I guess an encouragement about what I hope it always is. Um, I hope that I have the chance to visit Gospel Light many times through the years, and 10, 15, 20 years down the road, that what we talk about today is still part of the culture of, of Gospel Light. And that's really the, the message today, is, is this— Five Habits of an Encouraging Church. Five Habits of an Encouraging Church. That's the word that kept coming to my mind as I was thinking about what is Gospel like, What is its culture? What is its DNA? And of course, Brother Eric, Miss Carol Ann, the best encouragers you've probably ever been around, the best I've been around. Uh, but you find that that's not just two people. There are a lot of people in this church who you've been an encouragement to me and my family, and, and we are just so blessed And so today, in some ways, I'm going to be preaching to the choir. I'm going to be uh, talking to a church that's great and encouraging about what the Bible says about encouraging people. But, you know, there is this tendency that when you are around someone who is really strong in an area, that you kind of tend to be weak in that area because you know they'll take care of it. You have a great encourager in your church and a pastor. It'd be easy for everybody else to kind of sit back and and say, well, any encouragement that needs to be done, Brother Eric can take care of it. But the truth of the matter is, it's a ministry for all of us. It's a, it's a daily ministry, and it's what makes a church go. And this is why it's important. God wants his kingdom furthered. God wants to grow and, and reach people. And, and the environment that the kingdom of God grows best is an environment of encouragement, where people are strengthened to do what God's called them to do. Every one of us, we have challenges that we face in life, that, things that God wants us to do. Maybe it's to be more bold in our witness. God wants us to do that. For some of us, maybe it's, it's that we have uh, some sin in our life that we need to address, and it takes a lot of strength and courage to do that. There, there are all these steps of growth that God wants us to take, and the simple truth is the difference between us taking those steps and not taking those steps many times has to do with the encouragement around us. Are we in an atmosphere of encouragement? A lot of times the difference between a great home, a, a godly home, a home where the, the uh, children are, are growing up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, and one that isn't, is not simply what parents say, but how good parents are at encouraging their kids. You know, anybody can tell your kids what to do. Anybody can. In fact, if, if you have, uh, all you fellows, you can, you can uh, attest to me, if you have an older sister, you already have somebody that tells you what to do. You don't even need parents to tell you what to do. But parenting is much more than that, isn't it? It's that encouragement. It's not just saying this is what you need to do. It's encouraging them and helping them grow in their walk with God and accomplishing those things. And so this idea of being in an encouraging church, it's a big idea. It's a huge thing. And we're going to see what the Bible has to say about it in Hebrews chapter number 10. And before we look at our two key verses, verse 24 and 25, I want to give you a synopsis of what's going on in this chapter. The book of Hebrews is a book that describes how that Christ is superior to everything. And by the way, we can just stop right there and, and think about that and be blessed. That Jesus Christ is superior to everything. Not just in the whole world, but in our church. He's superior to everything that goes on in our church. There are a lot of great things that we do at Gospel Light. But the greatest thing about Gospel Light is not our facilities, not people. It is that Jesus Christ is the one we focus on in the cross and the forgiveness that he offers us. That's what it's all about. That's what's exciting and in this chapter, chapter 10, what it's describing is how that the sacrifice of Christ and the forgiveness that Christ offers is greater than any other sacrifice that could be offered. Now, in the, this passage, the people reading that were thinking of the Old Testament sacrifices, where if you sinned you were to offer a sacrifice for your sins, Nowadays, people don't do that anymore. We don't think, well, I sinned against God, so let me go find a lamb and and kill that lamb. But we still have the same underlying thought, and that's this. I have sinned against God, and so let me do something to fix it. The truth of the matter is, there's nothing you and I can do to fix our sin problem. You cannot do enough good, I can't do enough good to cancel out the sin in our life. Every one of us were born sinners. We sin as, uh, from a young age, and, and today we're all sinners. And there are some people today who you are, just like in the Old Testament, trying to offer sacrifices, trying to do enough good things that God's impressed and that you receive forgiveness. The truth of the matter is you can't, because all that pointed to Jesus Christ, who is the ultimate sacrifice. And that's what Hebrews 10 is about. Jesus Christ offers a great forgiveness. We're going to look at just a few of the verses that describe that. And then there's a second thought that comes from that. So let's look at Hebrews 10, verse number 12. But this man, is speaking of Christ, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever. That's referring to the cross. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. So he's saying the sacrifice that Jesus gave is greater because it's a one-time thing. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, God was satisfied, sin had been paid for. You and I do not have to continually pay for our sins because Christ paid for them once and for all. That's the greatness of his sacrifice. Verse 18, it says, now where remission of these sins is, or if you've been saved, if you have forgiveness, there is no more offering for sin. There's nothing else you do to add to what Jesus Christ did. There's one offering. Christ is that offering. It's describing all these great things, but it comes to a thought. Because of Christ's great sacrifice, look at verse number two. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water is simply saying this. Because Jesus Christ was that ultimate sacrifice, and you don't have to continually offer sacrifices of trying to please God. Let us draw close to God with a pure heart, with all of our heart. Let us live pure lives and clean lives. Let us please him in what we do and what we say and what we think. So this is really the synopsis of the chapter. It's this, great forgiveness in our, our life, great forgiveness, the fact that Jesus died for us, should produce a great sanctification in our life or Christ-likeness or a growth in grace or a passion for God, whatever you want to call it, it's fine, but the truth is this, because I have been forgiven a great debt, And this forgiveness I've been given, it's not something I have to work to continually maintain. Jesus, once and for all, paid for my sins. I should draw near with that clean heart. I should be growing every day. I should be like Jesus every day. And that should be our story. We should be every day in all of the cross. Every day humbled by the cross. Every day our pride is destroyed uh, in the cross because of what Jesus did. And we stand up and say, God, if you could take somebody who is dead in sin and make him alive in Christ... I want to follow that kind of a God. And you take somebody who was a prisoner that you've set free and somebody who was against God, your enemy, and you've made me your friend. If you can do all of that for me, then what I want to do is I want to follow you with all my heart. I want to be what you want me to be. I want to say what you want me to say. I want to think how you want me to think. But let's look at our lives. Is that how it usually goes? Is that how it always goes? You see, there's that, that natural inclination in our hearts that when we've received great forgiveness where it doesn't draw us closer to being like Christ but it creates this apathy in our heart in other words great forgiveness should produce great sanctification but often it produces great apathy and it goes something like this well I believe Jesus died for me and he saved me forgave all my sins so it doesn't really matter a whole lot what I do it doesn't matter if I really am passionate for him. It doesn't matter if I'm interested in building his kingdom. It doesn't really matter if I witness or not. It doesn't really matter if I serve or not. Because at the end of the day, Jesus will forgive me. I'm all, all my sins are already paid for. There's a, there's a $5 word for that. It's called antinomianism. It's the idea that because of my sins being forgiven on the cross, that there's really nothing that God expects for me from me. But that's not the truth, folks. He has recruited us to his kingdom, to further his kingdom. And the, the second half of, of Hebrews 10 describes that kind of a heart. So you've received this great forgiveness, but what about the part of us that at times says we've received this forgiveness, but instead of producing a passion for God, it produces apathy. Well, let's look at verse number 26. It says, for if we sin willingly, willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, There remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. It's saying, if we have that heart that says, I've received great forgiveness, but I'm I'm not excited about it. I don't, it doesn't make me want to be like Jesus. It kind of makes me apathetic. He says, don't be surprised that there's some fiery uh, uh, trials in your life. Don't be surprised if there's judgment in your life, like what God has set aside for adversaries. In other words, don't be surprised if God treats us not as sons at times, but he has that tough love in our life if you and I follow after that heart of apathy. So how do we How do we not have that? How do we protect ourselves and safeguard ourselves? How do we stay living, thrilled by forgiveness, Uh, our hearts passionate because of forgiveness and not give in to the apathy that says, well, God's forgiven me, so it doesn't really matter what I do. Well, those two verses, verse 24 and 25, link those two thoughts together, and they describe how to do that. What I've talked about up until this point is a description of our hearts, But then God goes and he prescribes the steps we need to take, the actions we need to take. There's something you and I can do to keep that from happening. And here's the difference. Uh, When I go and visit my mom, uh, you know, there's pretty much, whenever there are two or three ogles together, there's food involved. I think that's a verse in the Bible somewhere. We like to eat big. And about the time we get done eating, and it's time for us to go, we say our goodbyes and we hug and, and all this, mom will say something, she'll say, you know, I can't wait to see you again, and then she says something that a lot of moms say. You want to guess what that is? What is it? Be safe. She doesn't tell me she loves me, she does say, be safe, thank you. She says, uh, be sa- y'all be safe, or something along those lines. How many of you have heard that before? Yeah, you ever think about that, like, you know, that's kind of the strangest thing to say. Like, has there ever been one moment in your life where you're like, wow, mom, I was, I was really considering not being safe on the way home, but w- you've, you've really helped me, and I'm going to be safe now. No texting and driving. No, she's just describing this thing to be safe, but she doesn't really say how to do that. But there are signs on the road, for example, that tell you how to do that. There are speed limit signs that tell you how to be safe on the road. There are, uh, you know, when we lived in Illinois, they had deer crossing signs all over to tell you to watch for deer. I was traveling recently, and I saw a bear crossing sign. Have you ever seen a bear crossing sign before? I hadn't either, but I did not pull over on the side of the road. I was very careful. I thought, bear crossing, really? But those signs are telling us how to be safe. So in the scripture, God's saying, hey, let me describe the problem. The problem is, hey, you've been giving forgiveness. It's an incredible forgiveness and there's a tendency for you to take that forgiveness and kind of live in apathy, not be excited about take advantage of God's grace. Now let me prescribe the medicine that keeps us from having that heart condition. And that's verse 24 and 25. Now it all revolves around verse number 25. And if you see the verse there, it says exhorting. And we're going to use the word encouraging today because that's probably a more common word for us, encouraging. And inside those two verses, you find five characteristics of what it means to exhort. And this is why it matters because exhort, exhortation or encouragement can be the difference between us living a life where we're passionate towards God, loving God, following God, or, it can, or us being people who are very apathetic towards God. There's no doubt in my mind that there are people in this room who won't be here a year from now unless they're encouraged, God, unless they have godly encouragement. There's no doubt in my mind that there are people who their marriage is not going to be what it can be and should be and maybe even not even exist anymore unless they receive the right kind of encouragement. There are young people who are going to grow up and, and they're not going to have any interest in serving God or following God or being what God wants them to be and, and just live their lives for themselves if they don't receive the right kind of encouragement. This matters. This is about the perpetua... Uh, the per- oh, that's, that's all, folks. The continued nature of a church is the ability for us to be able to encourage one another. And so what does it mean to be an encouraging church? There are five characteristics we read in Scripture. The first characteristic of an encouraging church is an encouraging church has an outward mindset. The first habit, I should say, because it's a decision. Most of us are not naturally encouragers. We have to choose to be. And that's how the Scripture starts off. Verse 24 and let us consider one another. It's, it begins by saying, as I'm going to give you this, this antidote to passionate, passionate, passionlessly, that's not even a word, to living the Christian life without passion, before I give you the antidote to that, let me start by saying it's something you need to consider. It's a, something that you have to choose deliberately to do. It's something that you have to plan for contemplate how to do it and in order to be an encourager in order for us to be an encouraging church we have to plan to do it it doesn't just happen it's not an accidental thing we choose to do it and it, and uh, the the mindset is an outward mindset notice how it says uh, consider one another think about one another think about people outside of yourself the a encourager is outwardly focused, a complainer is inwardly focused. Here's the difference. An encourager would come into church Sunday morning and look at the people around them and, and look at how they can encourage them. And boy, maybe, maybe they, they stole somebody's seat. Maybe they stole Zoe's seat right here. And Zoe comes in there and Zoe's having a bad day. And he's like, really? You took my seat? I sit there every week. An encourager says, you know what? I'm more interested in Zoe getting what he needs today than me getting the seat that I want. And scoot over and, and call him a punk as you scoot over and all this. Uh, no, an encourager wouldn't do that. But, uh, an encourager comes looking to the people around them. But a complainer comes and it's very inwardly focused. Let's see, what seat do I want? Uh, Zoe took my seat. He always gets the front row. And uh, a black wall. Can you imagine a black wall? I hate the color black. And, 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 and then we come in and say, that song that the worship group sang, it was it was too loud for me. I didn't really like it. It didn't connect with me. And, 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 and all these things, and the, and the tie the pastor wore was too loud. Well, that's just poor taste on your side. Uh, but the, the t- it, and all these things are about how I perceive everything. I promise you, if that's how you came in today, you have not encouraged anybody. The truth of the matter is, is that if we're going to encourage people, we have to look outside of ourselves. Hey, Mom and Dad, in order to encourage people, we've got to be looking outside if we're going to encourage our kids, our life, it, 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 we can't simply live our life how we want. We've got to think about them. Hey, young people, encourage mom and dad. You've got to look outside yourself. Hey, in our small groups, if we're going to have an encouraging atmosphere, we can't all be looking out for what's best for us. If every one of us tried to do what if we did that today? What if we said next week, we just want to start our church service at the time that's best for everybody? Well, how many of you on Sunday, be honest, you'd like to sleep to about 10, 30, or 11? Yeah, how many of you, about 10.30 or 11.00 on a Sunday, you're about halfway through your day already. Yeah, and, and, and some of us, we would say, well, you know what, I really like Sunday night, and I'd meet there, and, and all these different things, and, and it's just logical that a church can't really function if we all worry about ourselves primarily. And by the way, was that the example of Christ? Oh no, the example of Christ was instead of coming to be served, he was the one who served And if we're going to be encouragers, we have to get outside of our own heads. We have to stop thinking about ourselves. We have to stop thinking that our opinion matters most. There are people around us who need encouragement, and we're never going to see them. We'll sit next to them in church and shake their hand and say, how are you? I'm fine. How are you? And go back home and not realize that they are in desperate need. We'll miss the tear in their eye. We'll miss the brokenness in their voice and not realize that God sent us there to encourage them not to just enjoy what we want. We're not consumers. We're encouragers. The mindsets, the habit of an encouraging church is an outward mindset. The second habit of an encouraging church is a specific focus. This is really important, and I hope that you get this. Please listen, and and then you can go to sleep if you want, but please don't. Uh, This is the most important thing. An encouraging church, the Bible says in verse number 24, it tells us, and let us consider one another, this is the theme of of exhorting each other, encouraging each other, so let us think about or consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. That is so key. It's saying, I'm talking about encouraging each other and do it to the end of love and good works. Love and good works are the result. They're the destination of true biblical encouragement. Encouragement that just makes us feel better is not really biblical encouragement. Oh, it's it's nice. We all like that kind of encouragement. We all like to feel better. But the point of biblical encouragement is not a feeling, it's an action. Real encouragement causes you and causes me to love God more and love people more and to do great works, as the verse says, verse 24. By the way, why do we do good works? Matthew chapter 5, to glorify our Father which is in heaven. Others may see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. In essence, what God's saying here is I want you to encourage people. I want you to go out there and and encourage people. And and, and, and I want you to be others-focused, outwardly focused. Well, God, I'm going to do that. Why should I do that? So that they feel better? And God says, no, no, not so that they feel better, because I have a great mission. I have a kingdom that I'm building. And in my kingdom, I need people who love me and love other people. I need people who are going to do good works. And I want you to encourage people so that there's more love and that there's more good works done. That's the sign of real biblical encouragement. And by the way, that's how we know if we are truly encouraging people. We're not really encouraging people just because they feel better. We're not really encouraging people just because they're faithful to church. We are encouraging people when they are loving God more, loving people more, and they are doing good works. That's what real encouragement looks like. I think a lot of us as parents, we get stuck in the cheerleader mode for our kids. And, you know, we just kind of think that our job is to, to create this atmosphere where they feel good. No, no, real encouragement is creating an atmosphere where they love God more, where they love other people more, and where they are doing good works for the kingdom of God. And we need to create that kind of an atmosphere. My son, uh, a few years, every year I'd like to buy my kids a a book for Christmas, and that's it. No, I buy them other things too, but I give them a book. And I, I bought Trenton a book, uh, the book Hatchet. Anybody familiar with the book Hatchet? Okay, several of you are. And I thought, you know, I'm gonna give him this book, and I'm gonna also give him a hatchet with it. You know, and you got the book, and I thought he'd like the hatchet more than he liked the book anyway. Well, I was on Amazon, and uh, I don't know how it happened. I like to buy my Christmas gifts on Amazon, but somehow I bought a machete instead of a hatchet. And I thought, you know what? If a hatchet is cool, a machete is really cool. And so I bought my son a machete. He still has it. And we got that machete, and, and I'm like, man, this is I'm the coolest dad ever. As he opens it up it's this knife that's this long. Well, come to find out, this machete was not sharpened at all. I mean, it wasn't just dull. It's, like, flat on the front. It's, like, I don't know if it's, like, one for, like, acting or something like that. But you're not going to cut anything down with this machete. And so you want to guess how many times that machete has been used? We have some woods behind our house. And, you know, I, Trenton, was like, one day got ambitious and he's going to clear it out for me. And he takes that machete out there and, you know, it wouldn't cut anything. It will not even cut leaves, you know. He comes back and his arm's hurting and all this. And the point of it is that the, there is no point. It's flat. It's, there's no focus. And I wonder how much effort where we're trying to encourage people when we're not very effective because we don't realize what the goal of encouragement really is. What we're trying to accomplish is people loving God, loving people and doing good works. That's what is for. So that's a, the second habit of an encouraging church. Let's go to the third habit of an encouraging church. The third habit is that A encouraging church seizes opportunities, seizes opportunities. Verse number 25 says this, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another so much the more as you see the day approaching. It's interesting because the passage draws a contrast here. It says, don't forsake assembling together, but encourage each other. So in other words, make sure you assemble so that you can encourage each other is a way to look at it. Now, my whole life, I had heard this verse and read this verse, and this is what I thought it meant. Make sure you go to church because you need it. You know, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. That's not what it's saying. I mean, it is, but it's saying more than that. It's saying, make sure you go to church because the church needs it. The context here, folks, is exhorting each other. It's encouraging each other. And, you know, we could come to church and say, you know, I just didn't really get anything today. The sermon was, you know, I, I, I got this thing of encouragement down, and the music, I, I heard the same song on Caleb on the way in. It just didn't speak to me. Let me let you in on a secret. This is exciting. God may have brought you here, not because he wanted to give you something this morning, but because there's somebody else he wants you to give something to. There may have been somebody who, they desperately need somebody to pray for them. There may be somebody who's sitting by themselves, and they need somebody who's just a friend, and they're lonely. There may be somebody who's struggling in their marriage today and they don't know what's going to happen. I dare say there are people here right now who you are doubting God, if he even exists, if he even loves you, you're doubting your own salvation. All of us are here today and there are people all over the place who are saying, I need encouragement desperately. And maybe that's the whole, you've heard them, haven't you? The people you meet, you invite them to church, they say, well, I've just figured out that I can worship God just as easy on a fishing boat as I can in a church house. You heard that before? I can worship God in my tree stand. And to be honest with you, you probably can worship God better in those places. Hallelujah. Especially if the fish are biting. But let me tell you something you can't do in a tree stand. You can't exhort one another, as verse 25 says. Unless you bring your, the whole church fishing with you. Hey, we're on to something. Next week, church at the lake. Uh, no. No, you can't do that in a tree stand. You can't do that on a fishing boat. And that's why God says, hey, I want you to get together because it produces opportunities for you and I to exhort each other. Let's think about the last seven days. I'm going to look at my life. Have I been an encouragement to anybody in the last seven days? Have I spurred anyone on to loving God more, loving people more, and to do good works? If I haven't, do you think it's because there's just nobody in my life that needs encouragement? There's nobody in my home, nobody in my church, nobody in my small group, nobody on the job. There's nobody that needs encouragement. Everybody's just all encouraged, fired up for Jesus. Well, I think we all would agree that there are people, but we're missing them, aren't we? We don't see them. The opportunities are all there. The habit of an encouraging church is a church that seizes opportunities. No one today is walking around with a sign that says, I need encouragement. But you know, we tend to drop hints. It goes like this. Hey, how you doing today? I'm doing great, how are you? I'm doing great too. Go to the next person. Hey, how you doing today? I'm doing great, how about you? Hey, how you doing today? Uh, I'm all right. I'm hanging in there. And you know what that is? That somebody who maybe isn't really good at communicating or maybe somebody who doesn't feel 100% comfortable with you, they're saying, hey, you know, I may need a little encouragement. And they're not going to stand up and say, hey, encourage me, people. But they do. Can not tell you who I, the person who I know who is the best at this here is Brother Ray Black. I can't tell you how many times, I can, dozens of times, where he said, you know, the pleasantries that we all do and being polite and all this. He says, how are you really doing, brother? I said, it's my wife. She's, no, I don't. Uh, And there have been more than once that I've said, Brother Ray, I'll be honest, I'm, I'm just a little stressed right now. I don't know how I'm going to get everything done. And I even say it like in a joking way. He says, you know, br- Brother, I'm going to pray with you. Or remember that the Lord is your strength. And he gives me that real encouragement. It's not just hang in there, buddy. It's God's with you. You can do what he's called you to do. It's that breath of life that I needed. And it's pushed me on to good works. What would it be like if a gospel like we had dozens of people like that? What if everybody was like that? When we were encouraging each other, we come in on Sunday morning and we leave here, man, we're on fire for God. We're ready to face the challenges in front of us. We're ready to build our homes the way that pleases God. We're ready to be testimonies in our world because we have encouraged each other so much. It's just flooding out of us. But this is what happens. We come here on Sunday and say, boy, I love Jesus so much. I'm so excited about Jesus that on Monday I'm kind of afraid to let anybody know about him. And Tuesday, I don't really look a whole lot like him. Wednesday, the words I say definitely wouldn't be pleasing him. Boy, I can't wait till Sunday. God has given us this opportunity today to encourage people. That's what small groups are, by the way. Small groups provide an incredible platform to encourage each other in a very specific way, a very personal way. We build these relationships. We build this mutual vulnerability and honesty with each other where we can say, hey, I know that I can tell you this and you're going to encourage me and we can share the things that are going on in our hearts i've got to keep moving here the next habit of an encouraging church habit number four is that an encouraging church is mutually building mutually building it's interesting how the bible phrases verse 25 it says but exhort one another exhort each other it's not saying hey mature christians you're going to have a bunch of baby christians that you need to exhort that's not what it's saying It's not saying, hey, pastors and elders and deacons, make sure you encourage everybody. It's just saying, if you're a believer and you're at church, there'll be times you need to encourage, and there are times you need to be encouraged. The reason a lot of us struggle to encourage people, this this is tough, it's because we haven't been encouraged. You know, we're going through this Christian life, and we think we've got it all together. You know, if I have a problem, me and God will figure it out. You know, if if I'm discouraged, I'll just pray a little more and hope it all works out. Can I tell you how God works it out? A lot of times the way God works it out is by other believers. Who he works through to encourage us and strengthen us. And you might be okay, but maybe that person needs to be used of God to encourage you. Maybe you need to let that person do that. There's nothing wrong with having someone that you're close to and you can trust and say, hey, would you pray with me about this? Instead of us wearing this facade that we're all perfect and never have problems, never have doubts, never get discouraged, never question God. We all need those people. Some of us, the biggest breakthrough we'll make in our Christian life, I'm talking about some of us who've been saved for years and years and years. We've never learned how to go to a brother or sister in Christ to be vulnerable and say, you know, I need this encouragement. Right now, I'm down. Right now, I'm, I, I, my, I don't know what to do with my kids. Right now, my marriage is on the ropes. Can you pray with me? Until we sometimes that's how we learn how to encourage people. As we say, you know that how they did this, that that was a, that helped me. That made a difference in me, and I can make that difference in other people. We've got to move quickly. There's a fifth habit of encouraging churches, and our final one. And that's this. Encouraging churches are constantly growing. They're getting better and better at it. If you notice in verse number 25, how it ends, it says. Um, I don't know how it ends. Let I me mean, look it up. It says this, exhort one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. What's the day that's approaching? Well, it's probably referring to the day that Jesus comes back or the day that God judges the entire world. It's the day that we all look forward to. Let's just say the rapture for sake of our argument today. It's saying here, that we should encourage each other more and more as we see that day approaching. Now, I'm not one of these people who says, you know, I I saw in the news that this is happening, and so that means that Jesus is coming soon. I look at the Bible, and it tells us that Jesus can come at any time, and I just believe he's going to come at any time. And I do know this, that today is the closest to Jesus coming back that it's ever been. And tomorrow I'll say the same thing. But as today, we are closer to that day than ever before. And what are we supposed to be doing as we get closer to that day? Encourage each other more and more. He's saying, my people should become better and better encouragers as I get closer to coming back. In other words, Jesus wants to come back to a church that knows how to encourage. Now, I don't know about you, but as I hear stories and, of, of what happens in churches, I don't know that we're getting better and better at encouraging each other. Sometimes I feel like we're getting better and better at finding faults in each other. Not our church, but the church in general. We get better and better at separating ourselves and and not liking this person because of that and this. When God says, no, 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 as you get closer, you better become better at encouraging. I worked for a uh, Japanese company when I was in college. It was Japanese-owned. The company's name was UGN. To this day, I have no idea what UGN stands for—the three letters UGN. But they had this. We made these uh, these parts for cars, these sound barriers, and we had these meetings once a month that were called Kaizen meetings. It's a Japanese word, and it means something along the lines of continually improve, continually improve. And at those Kaizen meetings, they'd take all of us off the line and feed us pizza. Hallelujah for pizza and. Uh, They'd say, what can we do to make parts better? What can we do to make these parts faster? And what can we do to make these parts cheaper? It was a, a business where, as assembly line, and, and you had to meet certain criteria for every part you made and how many you made and the quality of this part is, is pretty intricate. And so people would offer some good ideas, some bad ideas, but they'd all be taken, and they'd be taken to some management staff who would go through them. And they would gather the best ideas and put them in these books that were in each little section. They were called Kaizen books. And you open this book, it was sitting right there, and it told you how to do every single thing that you had to do while you were inside that section. How it's, even how to clean up, how to set up, how to make the parts and all this. And then it had all these Kaizans, this better improved ways to do everything. Hey, you have the part, and, and this part isn't being made correctly. It's not, it's not warming up correctly. Here are some kaizans. Here are some ways to improve it. And so you could walk in there on day one and have access to many people who had worked there before you and the best knowledge they had about how to be a better employee. And that's exactly what encouragement should look like in a church. We live in a day, I read something interesting this week that that challenged me, reading about reaching millennials, and they said, we live in a day and age where good preaching is devalued like never before. You can go online and YouTube and find the best sermons in the whole world on YouTube for free. But we're also at a time where people need mentorship, that personal interaction, more than ever before. Now, if that's true, this is what it means. It means the part of ministry that happens from this pulpit is not worth as much as it used to be possibly. But the part of ministry that we have towards one another, encouraging each other, strengthening each other, matters more than ever before. Our church needs that. We need that. My family's been blessed by that. We've been here for almost two years and you've been an encouragement to us. So many of you have prayed for us. So many of you have have been friends to us. Brother Eric has been a huge example as we've been sharing all what God's doing in our life. He's had nothing but encouragement. He understood habit number two. That's for the purpose that God's kingdom is furthered. And just so it happens that the area of God's kingdom that he wants the Ogle family to be now is a little further south, and a little more east, but still the same kingdom. And been nothing but a friend and an encouragement. But you know, our church needs lots of encouragers. Our homes need encouragers. We all need that we all can do it. I was thinking about this. You know who the best encourager is? The Holy Spirit. We just sang some songs about the Holy Spirit. One of the names used probably most often in Scripture for the Holy Spirit is the Greek word paraclete. It means someone who runs alongside of you. It's the idea of a race, and you have somebody who's with you who's encouraging you on your race. Our vernacular would be like a workout buddy. You know, you have that person who you're like, You know, I want to start working out, so you and I are going to meet at the gym every Tuesday at 6 o'clock. And you you may not want to go to the gym at 6 o'clock, but you have that workout buddy who you don't want to let down. And you know he's going to give you a call at 6.05 if you're not there, so you show up to work out. That's what the Holy Spirit is. And the Spirit of God could encourage all of us all that we need. He's fully capable of that. But God chooses us and says, I want you to encourage one another. Why do you think he does that? I think he does it for this reason, because it's a way for us to part- participate in the ministry of those around us. In our case, you've been encouragers to us. And as we are in Louisiana doing what God has called us to do, in part, that's because of how you encouraged us. You were a part of us, and we get to share that with other people. And boy, there are many people that God's brought here through the college and through the church that he sent out to other places. And can I tell you what they are doing, what you're, you encourage them and they're taking that encouragement and you have a part in how God's using them. Folks, that's a blessed thing. To be a church of encouragers is beautiful because you don't know the impact. It's gonna be heaven when you see the impact of how God's used you. Now, let's get really personal and look really close to home. Right now, what hinders you from being the encourager that God wants you to be? Is it just too inwardly focused? You know, you walk around life and and only think about yourself. Is it that you're not understanding that encouragement is for the kingdom of God to build that kingdom? Is that where you struggle? Is it just that you're not intentional about it? Is it one of the other things we mentioned? How about today? Maybe the way back to start being an encourager is to pray for somebody. Somebody who you need to encourage this week. Who is it that the Spirit of God's putting in your mind, that, boy, this person needs some encouragement, and you could be that person? I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes, and as I talked about this thing of encouragement, the context of Hebrews 10 bases the ability for us to encourage each other on the fact that Jesus Christ was our sacrifice.